listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 3, 16. Good morning, church. So hopefully you got a printout, a copy of this when you came in today on your way in. If not, grab one on the way out um, because our prayer in this series is that you would increase, that you would grow in your hunger for God's word and that it would shape you and form you. Um, I find it very helpful. Um, We're in a series on 1 John, on the letter of 1 John. Um, And I find it really helpful um, to have this laid out this way so that you can see the entire letter on one page. Uh, And I would even encourage you, I'm gonna hit on some high points or some words that are found throughout the book. And and so one of the things you can do that's a great practice is uh, to read it in the context, but also to highlight different themes and different things so that you see Repetition, repetition tells us something about what the author is trying to say. Uh, Now John wanted the church, the early church, to understand uh, many things, several things, but he really like hones in on this. Uh, We talked about this last week in chapter one. Understanding the nature of sin or brokenness or what separates us from God and the nature of God and the work of Christ to redeem us and to bring us back to relationship with God. And, and he's addressing a people who were dealing with all sorts of false teachings, all sorts of, of worldly kind of ways of life that they were being bombarded with that were competing with the Christian worldview. And so he's concerned that they have right thinking because right thinking leads to right living and right action. And so this is important to him. Um, and it can become, it can be very difficult for us to see through those things sometimes. Uh, so we're kind of using the analogy of God's word as a light um, all through. There's this theme in John, uh, in First John, but, but also as the, the, that light that guides us and reveals God's will to us. Uh, kind of like the stars in the heavens, we've said. I don't know about you, I love getting away from the city and, and looking at the beauty of the sky. And, you know, I took my kids out in the yard a few days ago, and there were two stars in the sky, because we live in Houston. Um, but if you get away from the, the lights, and you really see the beauty, um, or if you have somebody, if you have a friend, or even if you get the app out, and you can look at the different constellations, and we've talked about even the Big Dipper. Like, do you remember as a kid uh, realizing and seeing what you had never seen before in, in, the, in the stars? Uh, and, and what does it look like for us, for God's word to be revealed to us and to show us life in a new way that maybe we've missed before? Because uh, I don't wanna get to the end of my life and realize I missed it. 
Uh, last Sunday I wasn't preaching, and so uh, I had a chance to visit both of our campuses, and I went to Jones Road the first hour and helped in the sanctuary service over there, and then I was about to pull out of the, out of the parking lot at Jones Road and drive over here for the second service, and I got a text from somebody, um, and the text, uh, they let me know that their father-in-law was passing away, that hospice had moved in, and she was asking if one of the pastors could come and pray over her father-in-law, and, and I don't know, something, uh, it was just the timing of it, it wasn't on my agenda, it's not necessarily something that I do that often, we have a great team of pastors that, that do visits, um, but something just said, go now. And so I, I drove to the house and found out where they were, and I went into the room, and the, the man, her father-in-law, was in, on his deathbed and not really aware of what was going on as soon as I walked in. Uh, but I said, you know, I'm Pastor Ray. And I guess when you're on your deathbed and the pastor walks in, you start to, like, pay attention. I don't know. Uh, because he kind of woke, woke up, you know, and I said, do you know why I'm here? And he said, yes. And I said, I'm here because you're dying. Do you know that you're dying? And he said, yes. And I said, do you know who your Savior is? And he said, yes. And his eyes began to fill with tears, and I read Psalm 23 over him, and I prayed over him. And friends, it's a sacred moment to be able to do that. But it's also, I think, a gift to me when I do, because I, I have to step back and say, what about my life? Like, we all are gonna be there one day. And I wanna look back on my life and realize that I have not wasted it. Um, I, I actually uh, ran across, somebody shared a Facebook video um, later um, of a woman named Heaven, um, ironically. Her name is Heaven. And she's the wife of, of a, a worship leader here in uh, Houston, uh, Richie. And she had been fighting, she's way too young to be fighting a, a battle with terminal cancer, but last Sunday, the Lord healed her not in the way that her family was praying, but Richie went on, on Facebook and shared as a witness um, her, her battle, her struggle, and how her family, and they had all fought the good fight, and he was walking by her room and looked in, and she was just worship, worshiping God. Um, and as she was worshiping, he went in, and she said, Richie, I'm ready to go home now. And, you know, that's always harder for the person that's there, for the family member, than it is for the person who's ready to go home. And Richie said that they prayed together, and as they were praying, he heard underneath her breath, she said, God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. I've, I've been faithful. And I wanna be able to say that at the end of my life. I wanna be able to say, God, I'm ready, and I've been faithful. And John wants his readers, and I believe still today through his message, he wants us to finish life that same way. John realizes as he writes this letter to the early Christians that there are many of them who are being led astray. And he, he starts with this familiar, familial term of endearment when he writes this letter and starts chapter two this way. My little children... My little children, he cares for them. He longs for them to 
experience life, and he states very clearly right up front what his objective in writing this letter is. His endearment and his affection lead him to say, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, we'll unpack what sin is. It's more than just misbehaving. But he doesn't want them to be deceived. He doesn't want them to to live a life that leads them to the place where they don't have the ability to say, I've been faithful. But he says, but he acknowledges, but if anyone does sin, listen, here's the good news. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation, that means the sacrifice or the atonement that he has has made away. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world, the brokenness of this whole world. This phrase, I am writing these things, or, or a variation appears throughout his letter because he wants to be clear with them about what his desire is for them that they would not fall into temptation, fall into sin, that they would live for what matters, that they would rise above the brokenness and all of the distractions and all of the deceiving voices of this world that would draw them away from God. He wants them to know the fullness of God. And he says, a word you could highlight throughout the book is advocate. He understands, he, he longs for them to understand what it means that Jesus is our advocate, that he is there with us in our time of need. And not only is he there, but his spirit abides with us and draws us. And so, listen, he acknowledges that even as believers, there are times that we will fall. That we are not, it's not like you pray a prayer, invite Jesus into your heart, and all of a sudden, sin is gone forever. You're still gonna wrestle, you're still gonna struggle. But John says, look, we have an advocate, and so when you do fall into sin, Turn to the Father. Do not turn away. Do not isolate yourself. Do not let guilt or shame turn you away, but instead, run to the Father. Turn to the one who is your advocate. He is ready to receive you with open arms and to bring you forgiveness. Because this guilt and this shame, these things are not of God. These things are of the enemy who wants to keep us isolated, who wants us to run away, who wants us to deny the reality that we need God's grace on a daily basis, every one of us. John continues, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. You see, when we walk in the spirit, when he becomes our advocate and we begin to walk despite our sin, despite our brokenness, we can actually walk in step with the spirit in a way that helps us to finish our lives and to say that we have been faithful, to say that we have kept his commands, to say that we have walked with him. He's not just calling them out. He's calling them into a life of fullness, a life of wholeness and holiness. He's saying, you are followers of Jesus. Now live like it, live into it, act like it, grow up in the faith, and don't just let sin rule your lives. He says, he's basically saying, this is your identity. Now now embrace it and live into it. He goes on, and he talks about, addresses them this way in in verse 12 through 14, to you little children, to you young men, to you fathers, you know him. 
Your sins have been forgiven. You have overcome the evil one. You are strong. The word of God abides in you. John is affirming this work of the spirit in them that has given them life and that is giving them power to overcome the enemy and his deception in life. But he knows that it is easy for them, even as followers of Jesus, it is easy for them to be deceived, to be led astray, and to wind up living for lesser things. But he, has, he, he wants them to remember that they have the power to overcome. But they must access it. They must open it. Pastor Luis and I, a few weeks ago, um, where we, we went to a, 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 a game at Minute Maid, an Astros game, the last game of the season. Who knew that it was a precursor to the World Series because they were playing the Phillies that day? We have one brave Phillies fan right down here. I just wanna point out. Anybody have stones? Do not throw them, you know? Um, but we were watching the game. They were playing the Phillies, and it was one of those giveaway days. So as we walked into the stadium, they gave us these little boxes that had the American League Championship rings from last year uh, in the box. And so everybody got one, and Luis and I got one, and I have mine right here, and I'm going to put it on, and I'm going to show it to my Philly fan right there. <laughs> and... Uh, Actually, I texted, I have a good friend in Philadelphia, and I texted him a picture of the ring the day of game one. Uh, he didn't, he's not as good a trash talker as I am, so he didn't text me back after the game. Um, but, you know, we were, we, we were, we put our rings, we went to our seats and we put our ring, I mean, because where else are you gonna wear this? Like, it looks ridiculous, right? But when you're there at the game and they've just given them out, it's just like you can wear it, right? And so Luis is wearing his ring and a guy comes and sits down next to him and the guy, like, literally, like, we sit there and he starts a conversation and, and Luis is, like, talking to him and all of a sudden he looks at Luis's ring and he's like, how did you get that? He's like, did you used to play for the Astros? Like he's convinced like Luis is one of the former players or something. And Luis is like, you idiot. Like, what are you talking about? He didn't say that out loud. I'm just saying, like, I know what he's thinking, right? Because the guy like took the box, didn't even open it up, put it on the ledge right in front of him. He has the ring too. It's just in the box. And he's looking at our rings like, wow, how'd you get that? And Luis is like, we all got them. You got a box too. You just haven't opened it. You know where I'm going, right? I mean, John's writing to the early Christians and saying, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but you haven't opened it. You haven't accessed it. You're sitting it there like an idiot on the ledge. And you're looking at someone else and thinking, wow, if I just had their spiritual gifts or if I just had their whatever, and you're admiring other people and Jesus is inviting you to open the box and experience the gift that it is when you walk with the spirit that you no longer have to be held captive and bound to the ways of this world because you have an advocate that no matter how often you fail, invites you to come back and to be filled with his spirit and to no longer walk in that way. You see, some of us, we try to make life work in our own strength. And that would be kind of like Luis or I pretending that we earned the ring. <laughs> you know, we didn't do anything to earn the ring other than go to the game, right? Lance McCullers earned this ring. That's, you know, 
the players on the field earned the ring. Jesus is the one who, who has earned, who has bought, who has purchased, who has power over the grave and invites you into life. So do not be deceived. It is not because of your own strength, but the one who has purchased it has purchased it for you. And he has gifted it to you. And you possess it when you step into Christ. And yet there will be a war. There will be a battle still. And John doesn't want them to give in to the battle. He wants them to rise above. He wants them, not by their own power, but by the power of the Spirit to experience the life that God has designed them to live. And that's why he writes in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, now we, like John, in the Gospel of John, there's a pretty important verse that we, you know, uh, is probably the most recognized verse in all of scripture. We sang about it earlier, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we have to be sure that we understand what the world here means. Cosmos is the, is, is, is the word we get. Cosmos is, is from the Greek word here, and it refers to several different things. First of all, it can mean the physical earth, it can mean the created planet that we live on. Uh, it, it can also mean uh, or refer to people. So when, when John in John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world, he's not talking about the, the, the ball of, of dirt. <laughs> he's talking about the people of the world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And over and over again, we're told to love people, that that's the, the greatest commandment, okay? But cosmos, or the world, can also mean the systems or practices or norms, the standards of this world that our secular society can, can teach us. It can be culture that opposes the way of Christ, you see, because there will be a battle. There will be a war for your heart and for your mind, for your soul. And this was going on around the believers the early believers in John's day. In the next three verses, the, the word world is mentioned six times. This re repetition could, should make us pause, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, now he's not talking about people, right? He's talking about the ways of the world. If anybody loves the ways of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Back in his gospel, John writes about Jesus' prayer in John 17. I have given them, the followers, his disciples, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, Jesus' prayer is not that they would be kept safe or isolated from the world. Their mission is out there in the world. They, they are to go into the world, just as Jesus has gone into the world. 
But his desire is that they would be that they would be protected from the lies of the enemy that would convince them to live in the same ways that the world lives. And so the, 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 the goal is not to, to run for the hills and to get a, a far, as far away from the world as possible, but to allow the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to captivate our hearts in such a way that we live right in the middle of a world that is in conflict with God's way, but we live as light. We live in a different way. We don't live, as, as he says, uh, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This reminds me of a very critical passage back in Genesis 3 when, when it says that the serpent, the one who is, who is scouring the world always, the enemy of our soul, the one who wants to devour came to the woman and tempted her with the one thing that God had said, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and what? Pleasing to the eye. And desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And sin enters the world. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, this is how sin can destruct, be destructive and destroy and deceive us. When, you know, friends, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if, if, if when we became a Christian, sin wasn't attractive anymore. The desires of the eye are still the same, right? The pride of life doesn't go away. But what we have to do is invite God's spirit to more and more captivate us and, and to fully invite, to open the box and invite his spirit to be our life. J.D. Walt, our friend J.D. Walt writes this, real discipleship in the tradition of Jesus is not about trying to manage sin by running away from the world. It's about the conversion of our deepest desires within it as we live in the world. The only way to stop loving the world is to be seized by and given to a far greater affection, the holy love of God. And so part of what we have to do is pray that God would fill us, that we would set our eyes on him and not on the desires of the world. We don't say, Lord, don't make the world and its ways less attractive. We say, God, give me more of you. Fill me with more of your spirit. Help me to delight in you because as we delight fully in the Lord, those other things will pale in comparison to the things of God. As the spirit dwells in us, as we open the box and receive the gift we can experience the spirit working within us. John says this, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you, have, and, and you all have knowledge. You all have it. The gift has been given. Open it, receive it. Jumping to verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it, just as it has taught you, so abide in him. Here's the key. Here's what John's driving at in this chapter. That we would abide in Christ in a way 
that Christ fills us, that the advocate comes, that he forgives us of sin, but that he leads us even into life, a flourishing life, a life above all of these things. That we might live in the spirit in a way that we receive a gift that at the end of our lives we could look back and say, I am ready and, and I have been faithful. Not because I've been perfect, but because the spirit of God has been within me. This is what Jesus does. You know, one of the, the most fascinating images to me of Jesus' life and his ministry was is uh, this sequence of events early in his ministry when he is first baptized in the Jordan River by Jesus. And, and when we visit the Holy Land, it's such a marvelous thing to be right there in the river and to imagine the scene as the Father speaks over the Son. And as it says, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. This is, this is an image. This is, this is hyperlinking us back to creation, right? That there's perfect unity between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's beautiful. It's a recreation. There is a new Adam. There is new life bursting forth. But then what happens? Does Jesus, I mean, Jesus is, it says Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And the temptations that he faces are the same ones that John mentions. You know, the pride of life, the desires of the flesh. And each time that the enemy comes and whispers to Jesus, what he's really challenging Jesus with is that same lie that, 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 that Eve heard in the garden, that Adam heard in the garden. Did God really say? If God really said that you are the son of God, then you should be able to prove it and so do this, the enemy says. He challenges the voice of God. He twists it. He manipulates it. But Jesus Unlike Adam and Eve in the garden, Jesus is the one who is faithful. And he's faithful because he abides in the spirit, because the spirit is full within him. And he, though he was fully human, lives out in faithfulness and the power of the spirit to the cross and rises from the dead to bring us freedom and life again. And so I wanna invite you into a time of, of response. And this response is going to invite us to experience the, 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 the fullness of Christ. John Wesley once said, nothing short of God can satisfy your soul. Nothing short of God. None of the pleasures of this world, none of the desires of our hearts can satisfy us like the fullness of God in us. And so here's, here's, here's an easy way to think about Fighting this battle in this way. Okay, I'm gonna give you three R's. I want you to hold on to these. First, pray that God will reveal what is not of him in your life. What is it in your heart? What is it in the circumstances in the loved ones around you? Reveal his will. Reveal his will. Invite the spirit to reveal that. This is what John is, 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 is doing. He's inviting them to, he wants them to, to see God's will. He wants them to think right and to see straight and not to be deceived because when they do, things change. Invite the Spirit to reveal his will to you and then invite the Spirit to replace the desires that are out of line with him. 
with the desires that are of him, with more of his presence, with more of his provision in your life. And then, listen, friends, you're not, gonna be, you're not always gonna have the ability to control everything, and so there's also a point at which you just release what you have no control of to God. Inviting, God. inviting God's spirit to reveal and then to replace your desires with the desires of the spirit and then release what you have no control of to him. That's my prayer. Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, you are with us here. You are teaching us and you are making us new. You are the advocate. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you speak words of life over us, that you have given us this gift that we need just to open that the fullness of the Spirit might be alive in us. I pray right now that, that everyone hearing my voice, that you might hear the identity that God says, that you are a child of God, that you are loved, that you are created in His image, that you are of sacred worth to the Father. And yet, Lord, we know that we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, and so often we fall short. So often the desires of our flesh, the worldly things, the ways of this world, they dominate our lives. And so right now, Lord, we pray that you'd reveal those things to us that have entrapped us. Reveal the ways in which we are out of alignment with you, Lord. Convict us of that sin of that brokenness. And as the Lord reveals those things to you, I, I pray the power of the Spirit would allow you to seek Him, to turn to Him. Not, not in shame to turn away, but knowing as a child that you can always run to the Father because He loves you, that you would turn to Him and that you would run to Him. And that your Spirit would be full of His Spirit. I pray, God, that you would help us to relinquish those things that have held us captive and to step into the life you have for us, that you would replace the desires of our flesh with a deep abiding love for you. Help us each and every day in the moments each day that we are tempted. Lord, help us to turn to you. Help us to to turn our eyes to you. Help us to turn our hearts to you. Lord, change our patterns of behavior to more fully reflect the one who died for us. And God, for the things that we have no control over in our lives, we pray, Lord, we just pray releasing them to you, trusting you, circumstances that are out of our control, words that have been spoken over us, release them right now. Let them go. Forgiveness that needs to be extended, God, that our hearts would extend forgiveness. And so, God, we pray that your spirit would do this work in us and we might experience the freedom of walking, abiding in your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We 
are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.